Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Last week's sermon title was Lord of All the Nations. This week's sermon title is Lord of One Nation. And yes, that paradox is intentional on my part because it's true. Jesus is simultaneously Lord of every nation and yet Lord of one nation. Allow me to explain. When you look at the nations of the earth. Does it look like Jesus is Lord of them all? The answer, of course, is no. We believe Jesus has authority and ownership over all the earth, and yet we admit that all the earth has rebelled against his authority and ownership, so what belongs to Jesus doesn't look like it belongs to Jesus. So what is Jesus, the true Lord of the nations going to do about that. His solution is you. His solution is me. His solution is all who call upon the name of the Lord. The St. Peter in our passage this morning describes the church of Jesus Christ, describes the church as a holy nation, a people for God's own possession in order that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. A nation that proclaims the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness of the world's rebellion into the marvelous light of his lordship. A holy nation that proclaims to every nation the Lord of the nations. But this is not a conventional nation. It is a nation with no borders, for the world is its boundary. A nation of not one particular language, for every tongue on earth is its language. No culture, for every culture is its culture. In short, it is a transcendent nation whose ambition is to redeem and reconcile every nation. That's its plan. One holy nation, destined to become a nation of every nation where Jesus is Lord. And in our passage this morning, we get to see the beginning formation of this nation. And what we will discover about our Lord's nation is twofold. Diversity and unity. So we're going to look at the diversity of this nation and the unity of this nation. First, it's diversity. Verse 44. 
While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was, be, was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So what this is, is a second Pentecost moment in the book of Acts. When the gospel broke through for the first time in Jerusalem, there was a Jewish Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was poured out, manifested in tongue speaking. Now here, as the gospel breaks through into the Gentile world, there is another Gentile Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is likewise poured out, manifested manifesting himself again through speaking in tongues. Now, it has been a long time since we looked at the first Pentecost. Um, Pre-pandemic, feels like an eternity ago. Some of you may not have even been attending our church when we looked at that passage. So let me speak uh, to the tongue phenomenon because it's actually very important you understand that if you're going to understand the meaning of the passage. The word in Greek does not communicate... um, you know, incoherent babbling. In fact, that is the opposite meaning of the message of tongues. The word babbling comes from the Tower of Babel. Babel, babbling, that's where we get the word. Where the Lord, of course, confuses the languages of the earth. Speaking in tongues is a supernatural undoing of Babel's confusion. So if you equate tongue speaking with some form of babbling, you're actually ascribing to it an an opposite meaning. Tongues in the Greek literally means language. When the Bible says every tongue, tribe, and nation, saying every language, tribe, and nation. And so the gift of tongues that we see take place in Acts is the supernatural ability to speak languages one cannot speak. You see, the greatest cultural divide since the Tower of Babel is, of course, language. Language divides our world more than anything else, right? Well, what happens in these Pentecost moments is the supernatural eradication of that fundamental divide. And there is, there's, there's a profound message to that miracle. What's taking place in our passage is Gentiles are extolling God in foreign languages. So imagine a revival. Um, where everyone starts to sing, but the words coming out are in Spanish, Mandarin, Russian, Arabic, French, Portuguese, and all the tongues of the earth singing praises to the one true God. Powerful thought, but what's the meaning behind that? What's happening is at the beginning of this new covenant story, God is giving us a picture of the end of the story. And the end of the story is nothing short of every tongue, tribe, and nation singing the same song to the same God. But it's even more than that. Notice what Luke says in verse 45, how he notes this. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. There's a reason why he notes that from among the circumcised, that they were amazed. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, I spent a lot of time um, helping us understand the Jew-Gentile divide. That you remember uh, Peter had to get over that. And and God did that through the strange vision and all of that. Um, 
And so, and so we talked a lot about that divide, and, and, and what I said was, and Will's already alluded to this this morning, that circumcision was the sign of that divide. So much so that Gentiles weren't called Gentiles as much as they were called the uncircumcised. And Jews, as we see in this passage, were often referred to as the circumcised. And so when Luke invokes the language of circumcision here, he is noting those with a Jewish identity amazed at the sight of those with a Gentile identity receiving their same spirit and singing praises to their same God. But, and this is the key, in foreign tongues. You see, up until this point, the faith was exclusively Hebrew. To this day, to be converted to Judaism, one must learn Hebrew to read and recite passages of the Torah in its written language, prayers, and so forth. What's significant about the Pentecost moments and acts and, and why they're so important in their meaning is that the miracle didn't give everyone the supernatural ability to speak Hebrew, the Jewish language. Instead, it was that everyone was given the supernatural ability to proclaim in foreign tongues what the Hebrew tongue had been proclaiming for ages. And therein lies the essence of the holy nation with Jesus as Lord. Not that we are a nation of one tongue, one culture, one ethnicity, and so forth, but that we are one nation that unites all the nations, one nation that reconciles every tongue, tribe, and nation. The end is not a bland, homogenous people and culture and tongue. It is the vast diversity of every tongue, tribe, and nation united together as one. So what this is, is this is a preview of what we call the eschaton. This is the end of the story, breaking through at the beginning of the story, so we get to see where this is heading and what it will be like when heaven comes down and every tongue, tribe, and nation, it says in Revelations, brings their glory into the heavenly city and we shall forever sing the same song in a diversity of tongues. You see, the Jews thought that the destiny was for the nations to become Jewish via the Jewish Messiah. But what we see in our passage is that the one nation of the Jewish Messiah shall include every nation reconciled and redeemed by the Messiah's salvation. And that nation has begun and is advancing to this very day. Which brings us to what happens next. Having seen the diversity of the nation, let's now consider the unity of the nation. Then Peter declared, verse 47, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Okay, now just as tongues and acts is often misunderstood, so too is baptism. Baptism is an external announcement more than your individual announcement. It is a declaration, a proclamation from God to you in the world. As I already said, the old nation of Israel was marked by circumcision. But now, this new nation that Jesus is forming is marked by the sign of baptism. Circumcision pointed what to what was to come. Baptism points to what has been done. And what has been done is twofold. Both represented by what you just saw will perform. Two things. First, the finished work of Jesus that cleanses his people. Obviously, we use water, the cleansing agent. 
but then also the Holy Spirit of Jesus being poured out upon His people. Verse 45, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out in Gentiles, which is why the mode of baptism we practice is pouring. But the greater point is that baptism is the defining mark of God's people in this world, the initiation right into the holy nation. And so Peter declares... Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? That is a profound, history-shaping question. Is there any reason? Is there any reason to withhold water from these Gentiles who believe in the same Lord, who share in the same Spirit? Is there any reason why we can't make this official? Is there any reason why they can't be covenantal members of God's holy nation. No one provides an answer. And so verse 48. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And with that, God's nation is now a multi-ethnic nation. It's not that other nations had not joined the people of God before. Of course they had. That's in Scripture, all over Scripture. But to join God's people was to become Jewish up until this point in the story. To undergo circumcision, to learn Hebrew, to go through purification rites and so forth. This is a Gentile retaining their Gentile identity while joining God's people with full membership into God's nation. And of course, the greater point is that Jew and Gentile now have a greater identity that transcends their Jewish and Gentile identity, Jesus Christ. What are they now? They are the baptized ones. Their baptism now defines them more than their race, nationality, tongue, culture, anything else that typically defines the people of this earth. And the passage ends with this. Then they that is the Gentiles, asked him, that is Peter, to remain for some days. You see, this newfound covenantal community wants to spend some time together practicing this new profound reality together. And they have a lot of work to do figuring out what diversity in unity is going to look like. And to be honest, they're going to struggle a lot, just like we struggle a lot still to this day in our church, and our church is. Peter's going to slip back into his old habits of viewing Jews as superior and refusing to eat with Gentiles. Paul's going to have to rebuke him for that. In just a few chapters in Acts, there's going to have to be an entire council, an entire meeting of the church held to determine this one question. Do these, is it enough for these Gentiles to just be baptized or do they have to be circumcised as well? Meaning, do they have to become Jewish to be baptized? And that was rightfully rejected by the church. The point, though, is that one nation of diverse nations is not easy. But the Lord of the nation is uncompromising in that demand. Why? Because Pentecost is the world's destiny. The end of what begins in Acts is nothing short of a holy nation comprised of every tongue, tribe, and nation praising the Lord of the nations. Something utterly unique 
about the Christian faith that doesn't get enough attention, enough attention, um, as much attention as it deserves, certainly, is this aspect that is unique to us of diversity and unity. Every other great world religion is a homogenous culture unto itself. And so as the religion spreads, the culture spreads. So Islam is a um, Middle Eastern culture religion. And as it spreads around the world, so too does that culture in such a way that it becomes an enclave of Middle Eastern culture throughout the world. We see no problem of translating our Hebrew and Greek scriptures into English, but to a Muslim, the Quran must retain its original Arabic to be pure, along with required prayers in Arabic and other Middle Eastern practices. Likewise, Hinduism and Buddhism are uniquely Eastern religions that retain that Eastern identity and culture wherever they go. Of course, Judaism, Jewish religion, retains its Jewish culture. So here's my question for you. What's Christianity's culture? Please don't answer America. Please don't answer America. What's Christianity's culture? How do you answer that? I have visited all four of our global mission partnerships internationally. And do you know what I found in each of them? My Christian faith enacted in Mexican, Scotland, West African, and Belarusian culture. In language and in practices. It was absolutely their culture. But at the same time, it was absolutely my faith. This is a revolutionary religious concept because guess what? And this is the point. Our religion is a revolution. A global revolution with this as our banner. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Yes, united in that who is over all and through all and in all. So what does this mean for us this morning? I think this is, this is, this is where the Lord took um, my conviction and application. And I want to bring it to us. I think the challenge, as we look at a passage of a Jewish identity struggling with the Gentile identity and them coming together and all that, I think the challenge and best application of this passage is one of identity. Identity is a huge issue for us in our culture. Of course, the identity of race is being talked about a lot these days, rightfully so. There's also A lot of talk about your sexual identity, your gender identity, your socioeconomic identity, and and of course, um, how you identify in our partisan divide. And so one might say that we are an incredibly fractured society, divided by a host of identities, and this is represented, of course, in our identity politics. And yet what's so interesting about our world right now is that at the same time, we are a more global society than ever before because of technology. We travel internationally very easily. We are, our economics, our economies are, are more connected, more global than ever. We do a community internationally through the internet. And so one can easily make the assessment that we are trying to do what I've been talking about in our passage, diversity and unity, except that it's not working. Our world is raging. We hate each other. Social media has simultaneously brought us all together and divided us all. Here's the problem. There is not a unified identity that unites the diversity of identities. 
Instead, it's just one big global competition of identities. But let us not critique the world in Christian worship service. Let us critique ourselves. What is your ultimate identity? I know what you'd say if you're a follower of Jesus. I know what you'd say. First and foremost, I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. That is my ultimate identity. Okay. But I'm deeply concerned how Christians identify themselves in our culture and world. I know everyone here would say I'm a Christian first, but you're not allowed to say that and then live your life devoted to other identities throughout the week. Meaning you can't say my citizenship is in heaven and is more important to me than my citizenship in America, but functionally embrace a Christian nationalism. You can't say I'm, I'm a Christian first, but find more commonality with non-Christians of the same, of the same political persuasion. You can't say I serve Jesus alone and then exhaust yourself with the most American identity of all, which is this workaholic exhaustion pursuit of power, fame, or money. That is to say, you can't say I serve Jesus and serve money. In fact, Jesus himself said you can't do that. You can't say my allegiance is to Jesus alone when your family allegiance your bondage to their opinion, your, their approval continues to control you on a daily basis. What I'm trying to say, friends, is we need an identity recalibration, a recommitment. I mean, it's, it's out of control. So, some Christians are more concerned about where they stand with this than where they stand with Jesus. My identity is, am I this person or not this person right now? than where I am with Jesus. So all I'm, all I'm saying to us is this. I felt the need for us to have an identity recommitted, recommitment service. So let me tell you, let me tell you who you are in the world. You are the baptized ones. That's who you are. Shameless plug. I am a Presbyterian minister. We welcome people from all uh, traditions. You don't have to be Presbyterian to join our church, and you're welcome to come here. And and um, we've got we got Baptists. We we we've got them all, and I love that about our congregation. But I am a Presbyterian minister, so I get to I do get to try to convince you to be Presbyterian. Baptize your children. Do not deny them the waters of baptism. Because do you know what that baptism that we just did? Do you know what that says? This child belongs to this place, not the world, officially. This is a child of the holy nation before this is a child of America and American culture. The world does not own our children. The church owns our children. Of course, our children can grow up and, 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 and refuse their baptism, renounce their baptism, but we trust they won't. We trust they will embrace their baptism and say, yes, my parents' identity given to me at birth is my identity. This is not a childless nation. Cursed be the thought. Okay, soapbox, off. Here's our identity. We are the baptized ones. And if your baptism is your identity, then you are declaring that Jesus and his Holy Spirit is your identity. If that's not you, if that's not you, then quit being duplicitous. Renounce your baptism and move on with your life apart from Jesus. 
But if it is you, then recommit yourself this day to your baptism and pledge allegiance to the holy nation of Jesus Christ. And by the way, if that's not you, um, if, if, if you're not a part of this holy nation that transcends all the nations, you're not a follower of Jesus, um, yes, I, 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 I don't want to insult your intelligence and, and tell you that Jesus is, 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 not, something, is not demanding something from you um, that, he, that he's not. He is. You have to die to every identity but him. Everything. He becomes first. But let me close to telling you, but also telling us who are recommitting ourselves to my identity as my baptism in Christ. Let me close by saying what a marvelous identity Jesus is. What other identity offers you forgiveness for your sins? Dignity for your shame. Love for your rejection. Strength for your weariness, peace for your fears, healing for your trauma, prayers for your enemies, satisfaction for your hunger, hope for tomorrow, life for your eternity. That's what belongs to you when you belong to Jesus. And that's what every tongue, tribe, and nation will one day have. Make no mistake, this holy nation is doing just fine. And will not fail. Now if you define the church. If you define the nation as the American nation. God's, God's nation's struggling. But if you want to talk about China. If you want to talk about uh, Sub-Saharan Africa. If you want to talk about West Africa. If you want to talk about the Middle East. If you want to talk about the nation. That transcends every nation. We're doing just fine. And the gates of hell shall not triumph against us. The holy nation continues on. Triumphantly. Until every nation joins his nation, and Jesus is Lord of all. Let me pray. Lord, refocus us, recommit our hearts, realign us to our baptism, to the mark that we belong to Jesus alone, and our allegiance is to him, his kingdom, his church, which cannot fail. Yes, we celebrate all the diversity. Yes, we celebrate our country. We pray for our country. We love our country. Yes, we, we celebrate our families. We celebrate all these other things that define us. But Lord, you define us. And everything is secondary. I pray that this sacrament would bring a recommitment in our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. We pray. Amen.